Sarah noted that in the bulletin it lists her as the preacher today and not me, um, which is just as fine with me if you if you want to, because um, this has actually been a pretty difficult sermon to write. Um, partly because I've had a lot on my mind this past week as I spoke with folks about the change in my relationship with you from being your temporary shepherd to being, I hope, your settled priest. You see, I've been a parish priest my whole adult life. I was ordained a priest just after my 25th birthday, one year above the minimum age required by canon law. And at the time, I, th I thought I was plenty old enough to take on such a commitment. And now I look back with a kind of renewed gratitude on my, for on my poor former parishioners who had to put up with me while I worked out just who I was as a person and who I wanted to be as a priest. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'll ever agree to be an interim rector again. I, I just don't have what it takes. Um, I have a lot of sympathy with Abraham. There he was, just minding his own business in the land of Ur, when God popped up and said, I need you to do a big thing. I need you to uproot your whole life and go and live as an alien in a place you've never been to before. This happened several times in my life, once from Ontario to Alberta, then from Alberta to Staten Island. That was a crazy place. Um, still think of that very special place, Staten Island. Um, but each time I have groaned when asked to do it, because you see, my favorite place is at home. Specifically, my favorite place is my reading chair with the little table I have that's beside it that holds my books. And with the little... Uh, Union Jack coronation of King Charles III coaster that Sally bought me for Christmas, and the really bright reading lamp that I have that allows me to see well before the sun comes up. And, and I would have made a very good Benedictine monk, you know. I, if I had lived in a monastery, I'd take a walk out to the cemetery every once in a while and smile upon the place where I would one day be laid to rest. And so I'm mindful of Abraham. I think about how he must have looked upon his almost dead bag of bones and nevertheless believed God's promise for a whole new life. And I wonder about his name change as well. Uh, I know it's deeply symbolic um, and uh, makes a lot of sense in the Hebrew, but. What I was wondering about this week was the practicality of an old man changing his name so late in life. Imagine telling everyone, you know, I know you've always called me Abram, but, but God spoke to me and changed my name to Abraham. And so that is my new name now. And, I, and, and, and then my mind went to those times I've sat with parents over the years who have come to me with the news that their children want to be known by new names. Rachel is now Willow, and Tommy is now Tess. And 
I've, I've cried with them as their grandparents and friends have rejected their, their new identities. I've, I, I think about the names of my own children. You know, Jack is Jack because both Sally and I had a great uncle, John, called Jack, who died in the Second World War. And we thought it would be nice to have a boy grow up entirely in peace. And our daughter Libby is named after her grandmothers and, and also Queen Elizabeth II. We, we chose those names for them because, well, I won't go so far as to say that they were divinely inspired, but we sure felt a lot of peace when we settled on them. Um, we truly felt like we were giving them a gift in their names. So an abrupt name change can be traumatic for those who have called you by a name and loved you by that name. But, and I say this to parents, we believe in a God who changes people's names all the time. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, and of course, Simon to Peter. And by the time we observe the heated exchange between Jesus and Peter, his new name, which essentially means Rocky, is as old as a hot second. And aside from being a big fan of self-determination, I will call you whatever you want me to call you. I have also come to believe that folks who discern a new name are doing so from deep within their spirit. And that's a place where God lives very much. And a new name can be a moment of intense personal freedom. And God wants nothing more for us than to be free. But this sermon was also hard for me to write because these lessons from scripture are tough indeed. They speak of calling and covenant, sacrifice, suffering, death, and God's difficult to prove promise of resurrection. Do I pull my punches with you or give you the whole truth? I choose the truth. Whenever I hear Jesus' declaration that his true followers will deny themselves and pick up his cross, I wonder if I'm up for it. Part of me wants to say, let's do a decision tree where one viable option isn't walking in the way of suffering and death. I ask myself, am I too much of a homebody? Am I too contented with systems and situations I can manage? Am I too stuck in my habits, the good and the bad? And most of all, would I have the courage to lay it all on the line? I want to think so. I know I don't have the strength to do that under my own steam. But I want to believe that if God needs me to shed my security for some task, the Holy Spirit would help me see it past the finish line. This past week, I was 
thinking about a woman named Sophie Scholl, an anti-Nazi activist who was executed 81 years ago this week at the age of 21 for subversion. She wrote an underground newspaper, so we have quotes, which is great. And she once said, an end in terror is preferable to terror without end. I, for one, will cling to the rope God has thrown me in Jesus Christ, even when my numb hands can no longer feel it. So the classic interpretation of taking up one's cross is a way for us to enter into Jesus's suffering, to somehow experience that for ourselves and thus find redemption in our own suffering. I still believe this to be true, but I also believe there is more to say. Throughout my ministry, I've been with people who, after the death of someone dear, they are racked with guilt over things left unsaid and undone. I know whereof they speak. Neither of my parents saw their 60th birthday, so there was plenty left unsaid between us. But I have come to believe, I have come to believe that in death, one of the things we enter into is God's full perspective. The dead now see and understand our earthly encounters within the light and the life of God's unending love and perspective. The dead don't hold grudges. They wish only for our peace and fulfillment. And in a very real sense, when Jesus invites us to take up our cross, his cross, he's inviting us to share his vantage point. Now few of us have dared to imagine the world from the view of the crucified, but that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. The cross doesn't turn on the earth's axis. It stands still while the world turns beneath it. And looking through Jesus's eyes, we can then see the whole world he died to save. And then we can love it. We can love it as he loves it, unreservedly. Jesus invites us not just into his suffering, but into his perspective. And once we share in that, what we see cannot be unseen. Our Lenten journey continues. It continues with the God whose glory it is always to have mercy, as the collect of the day says today. Think about that, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Our Lenten journey continues with the God who asks us to do big things, but who also calls us each by our names. Amen.